Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. The second class on an important sutta, the Anapanasati Sutta, and I mentioned last week that this is another sutta that people have taken, uh, taken it out of context. They've, they've used the word Anapanasati, uh, which means it, it, awareness of the breath, uh, mindful of the breath, uh, as instructions for meditation practice. And, in, and even throughout the whole sutta, uh, people have taken sections of this and say, yeah, the Buddha taught to meditate on this and that and that. The Buddha only taught one meditation practice, and that's jhana. The Anapanasati Sutta is an ex- example of uh, monks that have taken to his practice and what they have been able to develop because of that practice. Again, it's an example of authentic and skillful Dhamma practice. It's not meant to be instruction uh, for any type of practice. So I'm going to start where I left off last week. In reference to the Eightfold Path and the, the necessity of jhana meditation, the Buddha concludes by saying, Friends, this is the direct path for the purification of all beings, for the cessation of sorrow and regret, for the disappearance of pain and distress, for establishing the right method of practice, and for complete unbinding, unbinding from views ignorant of Four Noble Truths. In other words, these four foundations of mindfulness. And so those four foundations of mindfulness, mindfulness of the breath in the body, mindfulness of feelings arising and passing away, mindful of thoughts arising and passing away, and finally, being mindful in a dispassionate, impersonal way of the present quality of our mind. And so you'll you hear me say at the end of every meditation, be at peace with your mind. That is, in, in the, no matter what the quality of your mind is, be at peace with your mind. That's instructions to the fourth foundation of mindfulness. And by developing an impersonal, dispassionate view of life, the present quality of our mind is always at peace. And if it's not at peace, to recognize that, and we also know the cause. And again, it brings us right back to the foundation of mindfulness of the breath in the body. So, um, and any, any questions about that? So the Buddha continues, the four foundations of mindfulness when, proper, when appropriately developed, and now he's telling us what the benefits of practice are. The four foundations of mindfulness when appropriately developed, again, through jhana meditation, bring the seven factors of awakening to their culmination. So the foundation is established in jhana meditation, and then through integrating the entire eightfold path, we develop these seven factors of awakening and the reason why I'm presenting it in this way and that the Buddha did and many other, other teachers that he, he sent out is because these aren't to be grasped after. They are a natural consequence or a natural development of skillful meditation, uh, skillful eightfold path practice. The seven factors for awakening, when appropriately developed, brings clear knowing or right understanding, right view and release from clinging to ignorant views. So again, the Buddha is not saying to grasp after these. If these aren't occurring, it's because there's something that hasn't been integrated into our 
Dhamma practice as far as the Eightfold Path, not something outside of that limiting path. Ah, there's Matteo. Let, let me see what, uh, what Matteo caught and what he didn't, because I might want to go back to the beginning. Hey, Matteo. Ah, you're back. I have a bad connection today, sorry. Okay, but you you missed what I said up until now. Yes. Okay, let me. Everything. I'm going to go back briefly. I'm just to just to cover it. Um, so I I began where I left off last week. The Buddha said, "Friends, this is the direct path, meaning the eightfold path rooted in jhana meditation, for the purification of all beings, for the cessation of sorrow and regret, for the disappearance of pain and distress." and for establishing the right method of practice, and for complete unbinding from views ignorant of Four Noble Truths, in short, these four foundations of mindfulness. The Buddha continues, These four foundations of mindfulness, when appropriately developed, bring these seven factors of awakening to their culmination. So the point I was making earlier, Matteo, that you missed, these aren't factors that we directly develop or should be grasping after. They're factors of awakening to recognize that they're developing as a consequence, as a direct result of our Dhamma practice. These seven factors of awakening, when appropriately developed, again, appropriately developed means within the framework of the Eightfold Path. And let me just say it again this way, within the limiting framework of the Eightfold Path. It keeps us focused. When appropriately developed, brings clear knowing, meaning right understanding or right view, and release from clinging to wrong or ignorant views, and it brings this to their culmination. Now, the Buddha, this next section is called Mindfulness of In-and-Out Breathing. So the Buddha is saying, by a properly developed jhana practice, using the guidelines, this is what develops. Now, how is mindfulness of in-and-out breathing, meaning jhana meditation, appropriately developed so to be of great benefit. Again, simple instructions that, that because we want to complicate and make more out of meditation, make it more of a salvation type of practice, or even seeking insight within meditation can be a distraction. Again, meditation is for deepening concentration. When appropriately developed, to, so to be of great benefit, a monk, having gone to the will, a monk or a nun, having gone to the wilderness, meaning seclusion, to the shade of a tree or an empty building. Again, you know, the, the reference to the shade of a tree is to uh, establish some comfort in your jhana practice. This is a counter during the Buddhist time that this should be something, even the physical act of sitting should be something that's severe and ascetic. And I noticed that in my time in Zen Buddhism. They, they were very um, uh, enamored, <laughs> and focus on the, the form itself. In fact, the form was taught, how you sit erect and stiff and rigid, was taught as part of the practice. And I spent many Sundays getting whacked on the back by a kayasaka, a, 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 sit, a stick, that's meant for the, for the proctor. If he saw you in, a, in an improper position, meaning maybe slumping over slightly, you'd get a gentle whack. It wasn't meant to hurt you, but to, to bring you back to a rigid form. The Buddha said, be comfortable. Find the shade of a tree. Relax. To the shade of a tree or an empty building. 
They sit down folding their leg crosswise. Again, that's not instruction that we have to. That was a common form of sitting comfortably during the Buddha's time. If we don't find that comfortable, sit however you are. Um, I've, I sat that way for 20 years. It's gotten to the point that my legs are uncomfortable, especially my right leg when I fold it under me. So I don't. My meditation sessions are just as effective. Form has nothing to do with proper meditation. Comfort does, though. But again, but we should um, follow that first instruction to sit erect. That keeps us awake. It keeps us alert. They sit down, folding their legs cross-eyed, holding their body erect, and setting mindfulness to the fore. That, that means mindfulness on the breath. That's the most important aspect. Mindfulness is the, it comes to the fore of our, of our thinking, of our awareness. I'm just skipping over some, uh, some of my comments here. The Buddha continues, always mindful of the breath in the body, they breathe in. Always mindful of the breath in the body, they breathe out. That's the basic instruction for this most powerful and effective meditation practice I think was ever taught. Always mindful of the breath, we breathe in. Always mindful of the breath, we breathe out. That second part is so important. Uh, the being mindful of both the in-breath and the out-breath is both metaphor and a direct experience of impermanence. And many people are only mindful of the in-breath and they're not completing the cycle of the arising and the passing away, but again, both metaphorically and practically of the arising and the passing away of all phenomena, including our own life. Our life, our entire human life from birth to death, arises and passes away, just as our breath does in our body. And so, jhana meditation is the direct experience of impermanence and learning to manage impermanence. So as we find that we're distracted, using the four foundations of mindfulness, we're distracted by a feeling, the Buddha teaches us the foundation of mindfulness is not being distracted by that feeling. By taking a breath, an in-breath and an out-breath, and that in-breath and the out-breath interrupts the, the otherwise distracting thought that would follow from that feeling. In-breath and out-breath. A metaphor and a practical direct experience of impermanence. Always mindful of the breath they breathe in, always mindful of the breath they breathe out. Now, when breathing in, they notice I'm breathing in with a long breath. This section here and I've run into this in many different uh, centers and monasteries, they make a meditation out of, in a very elaborate way of being mindful of your long breath and exaggerate your breath and then do the same thing with a short breath. And they make that a so-called anapanasati practice. The Buddha's never teaching that. He's just teaching us to be aware. If it's a long breath, be aware that it's a long breath. When breathing out long, they notice I'm breathing out long. Nowhere does a Buddha say, breathe out long, breathe out short. He just says, notice it. Notice the quality of your breath is what he's teaching us. Or, and that's an important, um, uh, what's the right word for that? can't remember it. Transition, I'll use it. It's not the right word. Or, when breathing in short, they notice they're breathing in short. Or, when breathing out short, you simply notice that you're breathing out short. 
Not to manufacture it, not to exaggerate it, just notice that's the quality of your breath. And what the Buddha is really teaching here is that however you find your breath, that's it. Don't manipulate it in any way. If it's a short breath, it's a short breath. If it's a long breath, it's a long breath. If it's a long inhale and a short exhale, notice it. That's all. And noticing is simply another word for being mindful of the quality of your breath. That's it. Um, again, I'm going to skip over a little comment. The Buddha continues. They train themselves. I will breathe in sensitive to the body. Again, we're not emphasizing the physical form, just that I'm sensitive that I have a body. Why is the Buddha teaching that to human beings that have a body? Because most of what he studied and, and most of what I studied in modern Buddhism denies the body. It takes us out of the body. It, it tries to establish ourselves in something other than a body, a non-physical realm. That's what the Buddha means in, in this way of that we become, because we don't understand self, we become anything other than self. A human being is a mind united in its body in its most skillful way. It's a mind that is distracted by dukkha that is disjointed from the body. That mind is disjointed from the body by distraction, by the preoccupation with ongoing dukkha. Again, I'm just going to say that again. They train themselves. I will breathe in sensitive to the body. This is how we do it. We're mindful that, we, that our, our breath is in the body. We unite our mind in our body. In that way, we become sensitive to having a body. Excuse me. And so I'm emphasizing this point for the same reason. <coughs> we overemphasize all of jhana practice, including this simple and most human act of recognizing, yeah, I'm in this body. But it took an awakened human being to point out the importance of doing that. Again, because everything he studied up until that time and mastered was designed to take him out of this mindful experience of the breath in the body. And you remember in the, um, the, the, the Adita Pariyaya Sutta that we did a couple of weeks ago, where the Buddha uh, mastered these, um, uh, ending, establishing these magical experiences of, of neither nothingness or neither perception nor non-perception and all the rest of that speculative establishment as not leading to the goal. There's simply more distraction. And all of those practices are designed to take us out of the body or deny our own human existence rather than have a direct experience of it. The Buddha continues, they train themselves. I will breathe out sensitive to the body, to the entire body. I breathe in, I breathe out. And, and that's, that simple fact is being sensitive to the body. Again, I'm just skipping over some comments that you all read. They train themselves, I will breathe in, calming bodily fabrication. So the intention, and they, again, this, this, this has to be read correctly and in the right context. My breathing in, my intention isn't to calm bodily fabrications. By breathing in, bodily fabrications naturally calm. I breathe in, calming bodily fabrications. I breathe out calming bodily fabrications. As a direct result of breath of being mindful of the breath in the body, 
bodily fabrications, those attached to the body, just simply vanish. There's nothing else to do with them. Again, a lot of comments. They train themselves, I will breathe in, sensitive to rapture. We Again, we, t- we covered what rapture means. Joyful engagement with jhana practice. Not, not something uh, magical or mystical. We're not looking for the second coming, as rapture is often applied to that. I, I breathe, breathe in, sensitive to joyful engagement with the concentration practice. They train themselves, I will breathe out, sensitive to joyful engagement with the Dhamma. I notice that it's occurring within me. They train themselves, I will breathe in, sensitive to pleasure. Not trying to generate pleasure, but sensitive. that, that This is a pleasurable experience. The Buddha would often describe this as a pleasant abiding, a mind united in its body. And it is, we've all experienced this. In that moment, when there is just my breath and my body, my in-breath and my out-breath, it is a pleasant abiding. That's what the Buddha is pointing out. Be sensitive to this pleasure that you're developing in jhana meditation. By the simple fact of being in our bodies, a mind united in its body, in a dispassionate, impersonal way, is pleasurable. And it's, it's a skillful pleasure. It's not something that we grasp after or um, decide that I must keep this permanent. Just be sensitive that it's occurring. They train themselves. I will breathe out, sensitive to pleasure. Again, the entire cycle of breath. I breathe in, I breathe out. I breathe in, sensitive to the pleasure established in jhana meditation, and I follow it through with the out-breath, sensitive to pleasure. The arising and the falling of all, all phenomena, all thoughts. And ultimately, this, this mindful presence resolves in the, in the thought that keeps us distracted or the thought that keeps us connected. They train themselves. I will breathe in, sensitive to mental fabrications, meaning being aware that they're occurring. I train, they train themselves. I will breathe out, sensitive to mental fabrications. What would be a mental fabrication? It would be distracted by a feeling or a thought or a thought attached to a feeling. Again, coming all the way back to the foundations of mindfulness. They train themselves. I will breathe out, calming mental fabrications. As a direct result, a direct consequence of jhana meditation, simply being mindful of the breath in the body, the in-breath and the out-breath, mental fabrications calm. There's nothing else to do with them. There's no analysis. There's not chasing after it. There's no blame. Remember in the, in the, um, the instructions for the deepening levels of jhana meditation, from the second to the third level is directed thought and evaluation falls away. That means that we're no longer judging our, our jhana practice, whether we're doing it right or wrong, we're just engaged in it. And that's what the Buddha is referring to here as well. Directed thought and evaluation fall away, and there is just this, I am calming mental and bodily fabrications. As a direct consequence of being mindful of the breath in the body, nothing else. They train themselves, I will breathe in, sensitive to the mind. What does it mean? It means simply sensitive to the fact that I have a mind. And now we start turning we start turning our concentration and the wherewithal we're developing in concentration 
to actually controlling our thoughts. Something that most human beings don't really want to do. In fact, there's almost an underlying theme to this new agey mentality that's been floating around for 50 years, at least 30 years, well, now 50 years, going back to my youth, um, the new age of Aquarius is what I'm referring to. Um, that control is not something we should be doing. That it, there's somehow it's wrong to control our thoughts or even tr- attempt to control our emotions. Well, a mind that does not have the wherewithal of genre meditation to do that, that can be a pretty difficult thing to do. But the whole point of genre meditation is to develop through the eight limiting factors of the Eightfold Path complete control of each and every thought that occurs. And in that way, and only in that way, are we able to establish Anapanasati, Anapanasati, the four foundations of mindfulness. It requires this. But it's also where our liberation resides, isn't it? Just consider that for a moment. The only thing I really can own is my mind and my body. And so the only thing that I control in this chaotic world, no matter if it's, if, it's, if it's wars exploding or viruses exploding or a noisy neighbor or an unpleasant neighbor or an unpleasant dog or an unpleasant moment, the only thing that I can control about that is the present quality of my mind. Would you, the three of you agree with that? I agree. Yeah. I just had a question. Please. That's okay. Um, Effectively, um, the mind, it's, sorry, I've lost my train of thought a little bit, but I'm, I'm just, like, controlling your mind itself is a fabrication, isn't it? And I'm just, I'm just trying to work well, out what that means in practice. If you're controlling your mind, like for example, I'm saying, I, I project. If I'm controlling my mind, I project my own positive, let's call them, mm-hmm. thoughts on a situation or um, uh, um, skillful thoughts. Sorry, on a yep. on a situation. Yeah, uh, a, a, a thought framed by the eightfold path. Yeah, yep. and that's a fabrication, isn't it? Yes, and the, the, there's other there's sutras where the Buddha even teaches the Eightfold Path itself is a fabrication. But in this sense, a fabrication is something that we put together. So a, it, in this way, the Eightfold Path is put together to restore our minds that are rooted in a fabrication. So by nature, in order for something to meet that fabrication, itself has to be fabricated. But we're using the tools that a human being needs to reclaim their own mind. So you're right to assume, and that you're not really assuming, to, to, to recognize that mindfulness of the breath is itself a fabrication, but it is a skillful fabrication. And so it leads us to ultimately being liberated from even the need to do this. And so a few years ago, why does this keep coming up? Um, a few years ago, I got an interesting uh, question from a student, and I could, I could, and it actually, was a phone call, and I could hear the agitation in his voice. But he was a new student; he didn't really understand what we were doing yet, and he wanted to know why would the Buddha keep meditating after he awakened. And so the student was seeing med- meditation as a chore to get past, 
and so the answer was ob- to me obvious. And uh, of course, Siddhartha kept meditating post his awakening simply because it was one of the most pleasant things he could do with his day. It was a pleasant abiding. But it wasn't something that he needed to do to maintain a, a calm and peaceful mind as he had achieved it. But it was also a way of living in the world peacefully. So we are using a tool to gain liberation from a mind that is dis- distracted and rooted in eye-making in this present moment. Does, does that answer your question, Tom? Yeah, and then the, the ultimate freedom would be as you said to go beyond that right and to not to be just completely aware and accepting of every moment but that is but the tool that we use to get there is is right mindfulness essentially yes rooted in the four foundations of mindfulness which is what we practice on our cushion and then take off our cushion which is really what this the this entire sutta is teaching us we establish that level of mindfulness, mindfulness of the breath and the body. And as that concentration deepens, we're able to take it off our cushion and live within that framework of the Eightfold Path in our moment-by-moment life. And that again, that's not by um, manipulating the Eightfold Path in this moment. It's by bringing in the appropriate awareness or the skillful awareness of the Eightfold Path to what's occurring. And that's what you're all, that's really what we're talking about in our discussions after the, after the lesson, isn't it? How we're actually integrating the Eightfold Path. And just, you know, almost an aside, that's why I structure these classes the way they do it. And I also limit what we talk about in classes because I don't want to introduce something that might be perceived as an adjunct to the Eightfold Path by discussing, just as an example, what, um, uh, Mark Epstein might have talked about in his podcast last night that sounded really inspiring. It might be, but you know, and Mark Epstein is a, a modern psychiatrist that uses Buddhist practices, kind of famous. That's why I use him as an example. It might be inspiring. It might make us feel good. It's simply not part of Eightfold Path practice, and so it's it's a distracting when we, it's a distraction when we incorporate it. We just lost Jeff. Difficult difficult connections today. So. Um, this is why I say that the Eightfold Path is a limiting path, but in a very skillful way. It's limiting our, our distraction so that we can focus on what's most important, which really is my breath and my body in this moment. Because in this way, I become a dispassionate reference point to what's occurring. I'm no longer distracted by my need. Let me just hold that thought until I get Jeff in here. Hey, Jeff, welcome back. I'm still trying to connect. You back with us, Jeff? There you are. So I just say, I, I want to just say what I had to finish this, what I was saying to Tom and Tom and Mateo. So in this moment, and I know you've heard me say this many times because it really is a point. In this moment, when I can establish these four foundations of mindfulness and recognize them in the way the sutta is describing, in this moment, I don't need anything in my life to be any different than it is. I am perfectly content with what's occurring. 
And again, think about that. That is no matter what's occurring in the world. And remember, the Buddha established this 2,600 years ago when there were just as many wars, just as much disease, probably more so as far as physical disease. You know, there, there was a new famine every year just about. Uh, life was just as difficult during the Buddha's time. So we can't fall into the, the trap that, we, that human beings like to say, well, life right now is too difficult. There's a war going on. There's a pandemic going on. There's a noisy neighbor or a noisy dog. I can't, my, my spouse doesn't love me anymore. I can't practice right now. All of that is just distraction. And that's what the Sutta and the Buddhist Dhamma teaches us. Another way we can recognize our Dhamma practice is asking us our, ourselves in that question, in this moment, am I content with the quality of my mind? And that's the important way to look at it. I'm not asking myself, am I content? Ah, keep losing, Jeff. Am I content with worldly events? Because a, 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 a conscious human being couldn't possibly be at peace with worldly events moment by moment. For one thing, they change, and for another thing, they often change into ugliness. So how do we do that? We establish deep concentration and an understanding of the ugliness that often occurs in life. So we don't react to it. We're no longer distracted by it. We recognize that all of that is rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths, including if I'm reacting to it by the need for it to be any different. So, did I take that too far? Do, 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 are you following what I'm saying? No, it's helpful. It's helpful. Good. Thank you. Good. Uh, just, just as we take this little, before you start, uh, just to let you know, I have to jump out, I'm afraid, at quarter past, John. I, I have something I have to, uh, I can't avoid. just wanted to let you know so I don't interrupt um, if I have to. No, thank you. Out. I was just going to start soon. Let me, um, uh, let me, I might not get through, I was, I'm going to stop soon, but I might not get finished through this by the, by uh, 3.15. I'll do my best. No, 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 no problem. Don't, don't rush. I'll, I'll listen to the final No, the You know what? I, um, this is not a bad spot to stop either though, because it'll, it'll, it'll be, it'll be skillful next, next week to start here. So we're going to stop right here. Um, and I think that was a good discussion, but so let me, Tom, do you have anything else that you're, I would say not clear about? No, it's, it's, it's not that it's just, um, the teachings are clear as always. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just, as I said at the beginning, it's just a lot of distraction in the world at the moment. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't hear that last. I was, I was distracted by Jeff coming back in. Oh, no, I just said there's a lot of distract distraction in the world at the moment. Yes. And it's, it's, um, it's difficult to practice. Uh, like I have a very, um, agitated mind yes. both personal reasons but there's of course the the war happening and um which is very you know concerning and i know that the the easy answer is to say don't get caught up in it yeah um it's just difficult when you're when it's you know it's dominating the the airwaves yeah. so much so um anyway but the teachings are helpful as always i think what you said there at the end you know in this moment Am I content with the current quality of my mind? That's the the only thing you can come back to, really. Yes. Um, so yeah. So. And, um, and so you're not, con right, well, I mean, based on what you just said, you're not perfectly content with the quality of your mind. That's fine. You know, then, and then you're not doing something wrong. But Dharma practice says, okay, look at it. Why are you discontent in this moment? And of course, it is worldly events. And he also said, 
it's all over the airways. Um, I try to limit, and I don't try, I do. I limit my, my news watching um, to a, oh. oh, I don't know why you're not hearing. I'm, audio is on. Um, so the, uh, anyway, I was watching the news yesterday, um, right around noontime, getting right into the, into it. And I found myself, uh, I usually do that for about an hour, an hour and a half, just to find out what's going on in the world. I think it's important that we all know, um, maybe not. Uh, and I was just engrossed in it and I was getting agitated. And I was, I was thinking how, you know, what this man is crazy, but I also know something about Ukraine. Ukraine isn't the, the most perfect country in the world. Not that they deserve what's going on. Nobody would deserve that. And just getting caught up in this and knowing what I know and this guy's that way and why, you know, I, 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 I personally think that our current president is one of the worst we ever had, but that's a personal thing. Um, and I had to stop. And, and I did. I just I said, I'm, I'm making myself crazy in this moment. I stopped. I went and I sat for a few minutes and I got through it. The point that I'm making is limit, limit your exposure to what's going on. Again, it's important to know what's going on, but we don't have to do it 24-7 or even, you know, one hour a day. It's enough to know. Um, what can I do about it? You know what I did? I felt like I needed to do something. I'm not saying this like it is, you should do it because I did it, but just this is what I did. I found out, I went online and I wanted to find out, I, I did Ukraine Orphanage, did a Google search on it, and I came across one that seemed to be doing incredible work of getting the orphans out of that country. I sent them 50 bucks. And what else, you know, that's what I could afford to do. Maybe I could say it made me feel good, but that was kind of how I closed the door on that, you know. And so I would, I would say, we have to live in the world, we should know what's going on, but we don't have to get caught up in it. And I would even say that if you were on the ground, if you were living in Ukraine right now, first thing you have to do is make sure you're safe. Get underground if you have to. But then, even then, try to find a, a secluded space and sit for just a few minutes because it's going to help. But that doesn't mean that in the moment when bombs are flying over your head that you're going to be able to establish Yana. You won't. You know, you, you, I, the, the Buddha wouldn't. He would, he would move someplace else. And we should all do that. We should understand the limits of our practice. This isn't a salvific practice. We're not trying to escape the world. We're trying to understand it. And in that way, that means we have to be involved in it to a certain extent, just not entangled in it. So, again, you brought up a, a very important point and so relevant to what's going on today. So, so I know you got to leave in a few minutes, Tom. I want to get to yeah. Mateo. Mateo, Thanks good to see you. Hi, everybody. Um... Yeah, okay, because you brought the topic of the war, of course, that is this period. Uh, you know, I have a good friend of mine that is Ukraine, is in Kiev, and we just talked the day before that the war starts. And I say, so what's he going, what are you going to do? And this guy just he told me, I will be here. I will stay here. So I don't, I don't leave this place. And the day after when the first convoy arrived there, he asked me, do you come to join us? Because, wow. you know, only like people from Europe. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's two days that I don't reply to him because I really I really don't know what to reply. But, of course, I have to. And, you know, my, my guts is like, yes, I come. 
is like that. But then, like, uh, uh, you know, realistically, maybe, like, I'm not even that useful if I go. Well, <gasps> yes. I was thinking, what, what, what is your take from that, from, from this story? Like, you know, Matteo, I, I would, if... You you have you have the app the right take on it and I again I think I think that on the ground it's hopeless. There's no way. In other words, I think you would it would people that are staying there. I how do I say this? From what I saw on the news, these Ukrainian people are just incredibly courageous. Um, but I think it's hopeless. So I I I think you would be sacrificing your life, which I don't think is ever a good thing. You know, the the. The body count at the end of all this is going to fall on Putin, but I don't know that it's going to make a real difference anyway. So even martyrdom in this sense is not is not going to be helpful. It's just seeing the, the situation clearly. Um, you know, I mean, that's kind of why I sent 50 bucks to the orphanage. That's that really is the, the best I think I can do. You know, so uh, we have to accept the fact that these things happen in the world and there's often nothing that we can do about it. So you you want to help your friend out, but to and even in can I, I can I talk about this your situation a little bit more than Tom might be aware of right now? Okay, yeah, yeah no problem. So you have and you have another responsibility right there that's important. So I'm gonna, uh, Tom Matteo takes care of an uh, of uh, of an adult, and Tom is you know he. he when I think of Matteo's, what he, the commitment he's making, it brings me to tears. But so that's another consideration, Matteo, that I'm sure you've you've taken that, you know, you're yeah, you're yeah. you're needed there. So um, there's a lot of people all over the, the world right now that are trying to figure out what's the best thing they can do, and um, maybe it is taking up arms for some, but uh, you know. I'll, I'll tell you how I look at it. And it, again, even talking about it brings me to tears. I, I, I just think it's what has to happen. I, don't, I think as a human species, you know, we, we talk about how we keep evolving. We haven't evolved at all in, in 10 million years. We still think, as a species, we still think that it's okay to kill other human beings for, for incredibly stupid reasons, but we still do so. The only thing I can do about that is to attend to the quality of my mind so that at least I'm not contributing to that type of ignorance. And that really is all that I can do. And, you know, send a few pennies here and there. But, you know, really, um, really pardon me, Tom? No, sorry, I, I'd love to stay in this conversation more, to be absolutely honest with you, but I really have to jump out because I'm right. going to be in, in trouble with a work thing. But thanks so much, and thanks for your contributions as well, Matteo. I'll, I'll see uh, you on uh, Saturday, hopefully. Great. Take care, Tom. Yeah, it really is tough, Matteo. It, it, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know. If I was a younger man, I might even think about, okay, maybe I, I should go over there and fight. But uh, I don't know. I, I, it, it really I, is I tough. Totally I totally agree with you. I don't think it makes any difference, honestly. My yeah. present or not. Oh, chatting also with myself, I was thinking, if it's something happened to my country, like I, maybe I'm a coward, I will think like I'm not so so patriotic not even if it happened to my country probably like the best i can do is just i flee they just have to escape honestly yeah i again i think i think that's an that's an entirely human decision isn't it again yeah, even if yeah. somebody's somebody's coming if, if if putin's coming down you know breaking down your borders okay it's your choice whether you're going to stand and fight 
or flee. And again, I, I don't know what I would do if I was in Ukraine right now, but I, you know, I, I have to admit to myself that I mind flee because I would see how foolish it is to fight a fight that you can't win. It, it just doesn't make sense. But again, yeah. I, I, I go back to how I mean, these people are incredibly courageous and they're fighting for their country. But, you know, uh, there, there's something to, they, to that notion to live to fight another day. And in our case, to at least be a living example of an awakened human being. Again, think yeah. of if, if Siddhartha, instead of teaching the Dhamma, took up arms when he was 35 and got killed. You know, I think he did a whole hell of a lot more good teaching the Dhamma than losing his life over something like that. Human beings are going to kill people. They're just going to. Of course, of course, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes on a massive scale like this. But You know, I was talking to another one of our newer Sangha members. Uh, I don't know if you've met Dominic from Slovenia yet. No, I don't think so, yeah. And so I, I was talking with him yesterday. We had a Zoom session. And uh, we, we got on this subject, of course, and he said, you know, the Ukrainians for years have been have been killing Russians in their country and, and, and doing horrible things to Russian orphanages in Ukraine. And I heard things like that, so I don't think it was uh, just propaganda. Maybe, but, you know, the point is that Ukraine is a corrupt country, no matter how much we might think of Zelensky now. It is a corrupt country, and it has been, you know, forever. So... And again, that's not, to, that's not to say, well, they deserve what they're getting, but we have to be careful about how we're seeing things. You know, Putin is a madman, and everybody knows it, I, but... I think Buddhism helps also in this to contextualize better, because, uh, you know, the middle way, no? The truth yeah. is always in the middle. They're both right and both wrong. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, the, the middle way is just this. It, it's framed by the Eightfold Path. That, that defines the middle way. And the Eightfold Path allows us to find this, to, uh, to avoid extreme views that would say, that might take sides with, yeah, Putin should, Putin should conquer the world. He's a great man. Or the other view that all of Russia is a bunch of freaking animals and we should bomb the hell out of them. Another extreme view. Rather than use the Eightfold Path to establish a common peaceful mind in myself. And in that way, I'm not contributing to the insanity of the world. That's all we can ever do, really. And you're doing it. So, again, to get back to your decision, I think you're doing more for world peace right now in your Dhamma practice than we could ever do taking up arms. I just think... And I'm not a pacifist. I'm really not. I, I still know that I, because of human ignorance, wars are inevitable. They simply yeah. are. So what's the best thing I could do? If somebody asked me, if Putin said, what should I do next? The only thing I could do is, is say, Vladimir, with all sincerity, let me teach you the Dhamma. And I doubt he'd say, yeah, that's a good idea. But to me, that's the most skillful thing I could do. But I wouldn't say stop killing others because I know that he's not capable of it. It would be a waste of a sentence and a waste of my breath. And that's what the Buddha did. The Buddha didn't say, stop killing. He said, let me teach you the Dhamma. And then he left it up to them. You know, so that's all we can do. It, it's sad. I mean, I, I, I feel deep sadness for the people in Ukraine and the, the, these kids. And, uh, but I also feel deep sadness for a man like Putin who's got to live in that head. I couldn't imagine it. 
I mean, can you imagine going, just living in that moment by moment head, knowing that you're killing people and that you yeah, want to keep not, killing people? Yeah, yeah, it's not easy. It's, well, I, there is also it's awful. Of, I think there is a lot of a hypocritical point of view also around all this now because, uh, um, of course, it's, it's really bad what's happened. Every war is bad. That is even banal to say. But then, like, Frankly speaking, especially for Europeans, we just care about care about this war because there are people that are white. There are white people. If the you know there is there is war in Afghanistan, Iraq, Yemen, yeah. Africa, and there was no such a emphasis in propaganda like now. But just because they're like one of us, we think we should care more, and that is like it's very hypocritical. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree with you completely. I can't remember what what African country. I can't remember. I mean, they, they, they've been fighting a war there for 20 years and you never even hear about it because they're, yeah. they're, because they're not like us. You know, and again, but that, but that also is part of the... Uh, welcome back, Jeff. That's part of, of ignorance too, though, isn't it? That they, and it's part of the, 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 what the Buddha talks about is be careful of your association. So white people tend to just associate their thinking along white lines or Caucasian lines. And so we... We don't yeah. see these other things because we're not exposed to it. But again, that's just ignorance, and it's an ignorance that I that I I can understand, but I also see how hurtful and hateful it is. You know, but we, we do that with everything. We we um, there's a great movement in our country, and I think it's spreading the globe called the, the globe calling um, the culture cult a, a cancel culture. That simply oh, yeah, no, people that we don't agree with. Especially if it's if you happen to have the loudest voice, you just you just just completely dismiss millions and millions of people simply because they have a different view, and then you start treating them. And this, I mean, I'm I'm an old white man. I am a a, a, a white supremacist, and I've been one my whole life. You know, I, how can you can't fight that when people make that blanket statement about you? But so, and I don't. I know I'm not. I don't care about it. But. That's how people are living their lives now, even more and more compartmentalized. Yeah, it's dangerous. dangerous. It is. There is, not a, there is not the middle way, no? Either you are with us or against us, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, in that way, we, I, I mean, you can't really put gradations on insanity, but in that way, I think we've become more insane as a species than, than less. Um, but again, that's part of impermanence. The, the, the human species... As a as a species, have gone into great periods of violence. You know the world wars, and we tend to fight wars until we're sick of wars. You know it's not it's usually not victory that actually brings wars to an end. It's we, the, each side gets sick of it, and we just we give up. You know the Japanese and the Germans got sick of fighting. That's why we won. It wasn't it really wasn't the atomic bomb. It was the atomic bomb that made them sick of it. The Japanese, you know. So I, I, again, th I think about that notion that. It, it is only extreme brutality that ends ongoing brutality. Again, but we haven't learned that, have we? Why? I think because our minds aren't calm enough and framed by right view enough to actually see what we're doing to each other. So we have, we have again, it's a small group of people that Putin has around him that are able to control a larger group of people that go along with murder. With, you know, it... But, Ignorance of Four Noble Truths. It sounds too simplistic, but that's, there it is. You know? Jeff, welcome back. 
What I miss. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I want to. I will. Uh, I'll. I'll edit this. Uh, this talk uh, later on this afternoon and post it so you can catch up on it. Uh, but yeah. but again, welcome back. We are, as you can see, we're talking about current events and uh, relating the Dhamma to that. Uh, Mateo, do you want to? I was going to blame my loss of audio on Russian hackers, but oh, I probably, it, was, I can't, it probably I can't is. Plug out underneath my desk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that again. That's Mateo. Do you want to mention what you what got us talking about that about your friend? Because of course, like you know, is the news now, and then Tom starts to ask him about that. I also like I I raise my uh, my issue. I have a very good friend of mine that is Ukraine, and he lives in Kiev. And you know, I just told to him like the day before the the, the invasion, and I say like, uh, you know, what do you think? Do you think it's happened? And he, we say, oh no, unlikely happened. The day after happens, and I ask my friend, if it it will be what it should be. I will stay here as my country, and whatever happens, is fight. And then he asked me, would you, would you join us? Because you know, in their Ukraine, especially in Europe, they are they are calling European volunteers to go there, and uh, and for two days I didn't reply. I have to reply to him tomorrow because I'm like you know I don't know what to reply. I was like, uh, yeah, it's my friend we know from many many years because I used to live in Russia many years ago, so we, we met there, and I say to John like, my guts, my emotions say yes. I take a plane tomorrow. I come. Uh, and I do my best. But then, of course, like when you think rationally, and we are just talking about the middle way, like Buddhism, like they're both right, they're both wrong. So Russia, Ukraine. So probably my my presence or my non-presence there, it doesn't make any difference. I, 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 I relate to your, your, uh, your dilemma. I, I've got friends who are uh, actually Ukrainian, I haven't talked to them. I'm almost afraid to call because it would break my heart. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've got plenty of friends who are vets who think of themselves as being warrior heroes. And I'm sure that they're racked with indecision and PTSD and mm-hmm. all kinds yeah. of emotions. So. I don't know, John. Maybe maybe you could share with Matteo those poems I sent you. Ah, uh, I will. Yeah, I found I found those helpful when you find yourself in that frame of mind. Yeah, I, I I'm going to put them on the website. I've been meaning to. I've been I've been just a little too busy with other things. Um, yeah, they would be helpful. I think it'd be helpful for our whole sangha to, to read them. Um, you know this. Uh, these situations, we, we, it can almost make the Dhamma seem insignificant, but it really should be the, the response should be just the opposite because the Dhamma is a true refuge in these things. It, it allows me to, to even, if most people would think I'm crazy to be sympathetic to Putin, but to me it's, a, it, it doesn't, it's not an approval of what he's doing. It's an acknowledgement of the, the torture he's putting himself in by living with this quality of mind that thinks it's okay to, to murder millions of people for, and I, I, I think if you could really get into his mind, you can't, you, I mean, if you think about it, you could delve deep into Putin's mind, you wouldn't find a good reason for any of this. 
I mean, he can't have one. There can't be a good reason for it, no matter what he, his excuse is. I mean, you know, what you hear. And it's just a horrible way to live as an individual, but that ignorance at that level can grow to an incredible suffering. Dukkha occurs. It's the first noble truth. The Buddha says, Dukkha occurs as a consequence of ignorance of four noble truths. And, you know, to me, it's just an extreme but skillful example of that. You know, and... Um, you, you might, if not that I would uh, imagine myself capable of getting too deep into his mind, but you could easily imagine that uh, the, a mindset that is opposed is not that far away from the mindset that he thinks he's defending. Yes. There. Yeah, I, I, again, thank you for saying that, Jeff. I, I was watching the news yesterday on this, as I said, and <coughs> and Zelensky and one other person said, we're going to kill all the Russians, including their children. And again, it's just what you just said. That, so, you know, it's one thing to defend your country. It's another thing to generate that kind of hatred. It's understandable. But again, he, he's destroying his own mind in that way, by thinking that way. Um, and it, so the answer, the answer might be, or people might ask, well, so what do you do? The only thing I think you can do is to teach people the Dhamma. That's what the Buddha did. He never, ever told people you can't fight or you can't kill other people because he knew it was unrealistic. But he did say to, 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 to kings and other people that when you win the war, treat the people you're victorious over with gentleness, with kindness, give them food, medicine, give them shelter. And... And he knew that was the best he could do. So, I mean, and again, that's why I sent 50 bucks to the orphanage because that, that kind of falls in line with that. You know, take care, of the, take care of what you can take care of and, you know, don't get too distracted by what you can't. It's, it's going to occur. And when I think about it, you know, this, this could be much worse than just isolated to Ukraine. What does that mean? It means that I better maintain a present quality of mind because I might need it. You know, what else, again, what else can I do? It's the world we live in. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, um, and so we should be aware of these things. And we might find that current conditions are actually, um, I'm not saying that they're good for us, but they can be subduing in a way to remind us of why we're really practicing. You know, it's, it's not so that we feel good all the time. It's, it's so that we understand what's going on. And sometimes that doesn't feel good. You know, I, I don't feel good when I think about the people in Ukraine. I, I'd be crazy if I did. But I don't feel like it should be any different than it is. And I don't feel, I don't take it personal. And so I don't lose my mind over it. You know, and uh, to me, that's remarkable. I, I, I grew up during the Vietnam War like you did, Jeff. And my mind was agitated for years over that. You know, and it, and it was for years after we left. Just the, you hear the, you know, the common rhetoric about this and that until I finally made peace with it, you know. and um, I, I still get physical PTSD symptoms when I see a giant demonstration or yeah. I, the sound of a helicopter sometimes catches me um, yeah. in, in such a way as... My body reacts physically. Yeah, well, that's a conditioned thinking. You know, I, I, we grew up during the, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and during that time, 
there were bomb shelters in every, every public building that had a basement had a bomb shelter with a sign out there. And you were told to you know, know where they are because the bomb is coming. I was you know, six, seven, eight years old during this. And every time I heard a plane go overhead, I had the thought, is, is, that, is that bomb meant for me? And, you know, we grew up like that. So, you know, not terribly unlike what's going on in, in Ukraine and Europe right now, you know. The, um, and again, I didn't come to grips with that type of conditioned fear until I developed the Dhamma and understood it. You know, it's because I was taking that plane personally. I thought it was meant for me that I thought that way. So, you know, this is the world we live in. Again, I, I consider myself and, and all of us fortunate to have this practice that we can maintain a calm and peaceful mind and um, stay present in this moment. So, um, you know, I feel like we could, we could stay together as a sangha right now and keep talking about this, but uh, just as a refuge. But, you know, the, life moves on, so we will. Um, I hope to see you all on Saturday. You know, and let me say this, since we're talking about this, if either one of you ever get uh, distracted or even despondent about worldly conditions, give your teacher an email and we can set up a Zoom session because, it, you know, that, that's part of this practice too. It doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong in your practice. It just means you're a human being. You know, it's, it's a sad time for humanity and we should be sad. You know. But let's finish with Metta. You know, this is, this is the Buddha's understanding uh, and teaching of how we should address everyone uh, and think of everyone, including people like Putin and Zelensky, for that matter. And, you know, really everyone in the world. Let's, not, let's, let's keep everyone in mind here. So again, take a moment to, to be mindful of your breath in the body. Let that breath in the body establish the four foundations of mindfulness. And these are the Buddha's words on medit on on meta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another, or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you for a wonderful class today, my friends.
Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.